Hey everybody, this is Gene Marks and welcome to the Paychecks Business Series podcast. Glad you're joining us today. We've got a very special guest, Senator Ben Cardin. Uh, Senator Cardin is a Democrat from Maryland. He's the chairman of the Senate Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship. He has been a U.S. Senator since 2007. We had a great back and forth conversation really focusing for the most part on minorities. Uh, he is sponsoring a few bills to help minority entrepreneurs uh, that that we're, we're hoping to see turn into law. And uh, very, very helpful uh, information, I think, that you'll enjoy hearing if you are particularly a minority entrepreneur or want to help out a minority entrepreneur. And by the way, by minority, I mean black, Latino, uh, you know, female, uh, some good programs that are coming up. We'll also talk a little bit about um, some of the, his history with his own family. Uh, he has an immigrant family that came over to the country about 120 years ago. And we'll also talk about a few of our favorite books as well. So, Senator Cardin, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure, Gene. It's good to be with you. Well, thanks. So, listen, we've. Uh, I want to talk about some of the bills that um, you have been sponsoring over the past couple of years um, that really impact small businesses, particularly uh, minority small business owners. So, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Let me. I'm going to go through them one by one with you, and I'm going to ask you to sort of give me your take on each one. Okay. So, the sure. first one and the most recent one was in April of 2021. It's called the Minority Business Resiliency Act of 2021. Can you tell me what that is? Uh, certainly. Uh, the Minority Business Resiliency Act would make permanent the Minority Business Development Agency, which is one of the premier tools we have in the federal government to help minority business development. And uh, the, it, it operates today um, uh, in the under the Commerce Department, but does not have statutory uh, permanency. This uh, bill would give it uh, that legitimacy, as well as expanding its opportunities to help minority businesses uh, in regards to uh, business development. Got it. And the Minority Business Development Agency, it's been around since 1969, almost as long as I've been around. Uh, and I'm curious, like, what, what, what value do you see in it? What does it do? Well, it was, it was established by executive order. Okay. Uh, there has not been a, a legislative authorization for the agency, and that's why we think it's important to have uh, legislative authorization. So it's a creature of the executive order uh, issued by the president, and its uh, purpose was uh, in the uh, Department of Commerce to have a point agency that would be focused on opportunities for minority businesses uh, to develop in our country and to participate fully in our commerce. Where does it stand right now? You introduced uh, the bill as it made it through the Senate? Uh, the, the good news is that we have cleared it through the committees. The bad news, we haven't yet found a vehicle that we can attach it to. It's bipartisan. It's a bill that uh, enjoys strong support. And I'm very optimistic that we will get it enacted before this year is out. Uh, the bill is common sense. It pr promotes uh, public-private sector assistance to development of businesses. Uh, and it really does deal with socially disadvantaged individuals. So I, I'm very confident that we'll get the bill enacted. Let's move to the next bill, which um, was introduced in January of this year. Um, it is called the Unlocking Opportunities in Emerging Markets Act. Can you explain that? Uh, this bill very simply recognizes the reality that getting capital in minority businesses is very difficult. Uh, that's particularly true in new businesses. Venture capital, the amount of minority participation in, in private venture capital is almost nil. Uh, so we really want to provide opportunity in new markets that have been traditionally closed 
to uh, uh, minority uh, community. Uh, the reason, quite frankly, is that these come through established relationships and it's very difficult to break in uh, to this market. The good news is that we do have a, an office of capital in the Small Business Administration, which is specific purpose is to help uh, small businesses gain access uh, to capital for business opportunities. What the Unlocking Opportunities in Emerging Markets would do is establish an office of emerging markets within that office of capital at SBA so that it would have a specific uh, uh, focus on the minority community, women, and underserved entrepreneurs uh, to be able to get access uh, to um, um, uh, capital in emerging markets. And what do you mean by an emerging market? Uh, emerging markets, the best way I can tell you, it's, it's sort of like venture capital. You're looking at new opportunities. Where, where, where do we expect uh, entrepreneurs to be able to develop an area uh, and see economic growth? Right. Uh, technology is always changing. Uh, the, the, the consumer's desires are always changing. So we have new markets that are forming all the time. And we want the minority communities, underserved communities to be get into that wave at the beginning and be able to enjoy uh, the benefits of entrepreneurship. The final bill that I wanted you to talk about was, uh, we're going back to 2019 now, uh, it's the Uplift uh, Act or the Ushering Progress by Leveraging Innovation and Future Technology. Uh, tell us about that. Well, the Uplift Bill is an effort to form partnerships with institutions that have credibility within the minority community. It could be an HBCU, it could be MSI, it could be a community college uh, that has credibility within minority communities and has already establishments within the minority community. We know that the incubator programs work well, but incubator programs are generally located in communities that not necessarily can reach the minority community or underserved community. So we want to be able to get these partnerships that would establish incubators, perhaps at an HBCU, perhaps at a community college that is located in underserved areas so that we have minority communities uh, that have the benefit of incubator programs and just as importantly, accelerator programs so that we can get them started, they get the support of, of that common uh, administration and so that they, they don't have all the burdens of, of, of a startup company that's shared by the institution in which the Uplift Act would work with, and then to help that business get into the market sooner through accelerator programs. Got it. So the Uplift bill itself, is it still outstanding or has it made any progress? Now, on all these bills, we have made progress. We've, we've had a good deal of discussion. Uh, we've had a discussion with the Biden administration. We think the uh, uh, Office of Emerging Markets can, can actually be started without legislation. And I know that the SBA is looking at this today, at least getting it started. We'd like to have a legislative framework for it because that gives us a better chance for permanent funding. Uh, the Uplift Act has already been arrangements made with some of our HBCUs, so we've already implemented some of this, but we are very hopeful that these bills, which enjoy strong support among both Democrats and Republicans, we believe, mm -hmm. and fills a gap. And I, I want to talk a moment for that if I can, because the reason for this is pretty important. If you look at the traditional tools of the SBA, 
and you look at how well they're doing in underserved communities, they're not doing very well. Mm. Uh, they're, they're not making the penetration we need. And I think my colleagues understand that, and that's the reason why we need the uplift bill, the reason why we need the Office of Emerging Markets, and we need to make the, the Minority Business Development Agency a, a permanent uh, authorized uh, agency. So let's get into that for a little bit. I mean, you know, Senator Cardin, like you, know, you think about minority business owners in in Baltimore, in Prince George County, in Charles County, you know, in Somerset County. I mean, they're even you know, in Maryland itself has got quite a representative of Black and Asian and Latino business owners. And you're right, a lot a, a lot of those owners don't take advantage of some of these programs. They're they're really not even aware of some of these, which is exactly why we're having this conversation. What, what do you think more that the government or the SBA can be doing to increase that awareness? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And as part of our COVID relief package, uh, we included a community navigator program in regards to the tools of the Small Business Administration. Those grant opportunities are now open at the SBA. So this is an active program. Uh, this was an initiative by the Biden administration in which the SBA can enter into contracts with community organizations to help small businesses in underserved communities connect the dots and get services under the SBA. So the, we recognize we have to do outreach. In a small business, they don't have a, a big staff that can understand the nuances of how you apply for uh, these programs. Uh, and the, the, if you just take a look at the 7A program, that's the largest program that the SBA has today, yeah. their 7A loan program, uh, women only get 18% of the 7A uh, program, women-owned businesses. Uh, black borrowers, 4.5%. Yeah. Hispanic borrowers, 8.5%. So we're not reaching the mainstream minority communities and women-owned small businesses. Uh, and we hope the Community Navigator Program, we hope the outreach that we're talking about doing through the, uh, through the minority business development agencies, through our resource partners, the women's business centers, the veteran centers. We hope all those will help us uh, reach out and improve those numbers. You know, I, I have to ask about you as well. I mean, you um, you clearly have a passion for helping minority businesses. I'm, I'm curious where that comes from. Well, first, um, uh, uh, a congressman from Maryland, Parent J. Mitchell, was, uh, uh, was one of my mentors uh, as I was uh, – Again, starting in politics. Right. Uh, he was elected to Congress from the 7th Congressional District in Maryland, uh, a Baltimore-centric district. He was the first African-American uh, elected in Maryland to the United States Congress, and he became chairman of the Small Business Committee. Uh, he created the first set-aside for minority businesses. Uh, he did that in 1977, and it made a difference. So, uh, I've uh, always uh, been passionate about the opportunities of this country. My uh, grandfather started a small business in Baltimore, a small grocery store, yes, a grocery store. and he was able to uh, expand that to a wholesale food distributorship company uh, that became a rather large entity. So I have experienced firsthand the benefit of entrepreneurship. I've seen how it's worked in my family. I've seen how it's worked in my community. And I believe that we can uh, bridge the, the wealth gap in America if we offer the opportunities to all communities. And we have to do outreach for that to happen. You know, the, the Census Bureau released earlier this year um, some data about minority businesses. 
um, which which I was curious to get your thoughts on. That you know, the Census Bureau said that about twenty percent of all businesses in the U.S. are are minority owned. Um, the biggest percentage are Asian, with about ten percent. Um, Hispanics have about six percent, and uh, you know, their black owned businesses were only about. Two percent of 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 all businesses out there. I mean, you know, significantly lagging behind other minorities. Why do you think this is? And and what do you say to your you know, your constituents, your black owned you know p- people that are black in your in your constituency that want to be entrepreneurs? How how do you go about fixing that? Well, uh, one of the areas uh, obviously is to have better. better institutions in the community to serve the community. We found out on the Paycheck Protection Program, which was the largest program that we passed for COVID-19, that the reason why minority businesses weren't first in line is that they didn't have banking institutions in their community that they could go to to get help. Mm -hmm. So it starts with building the institutions in all of our communities, particularly among African-American and Latino and women uh, own uh, small businesses. And we did that uh, through the CDFI program. And as you know, part of our efforts was to strengthen the mission lenders and the CDFIs and the minority depository institutions. If we do that, they don't do outreach. They, they go into the community. And that is what's necessary in order to establish the, the uh, ability of these communities to show firsthand the success of entrepreneurship, which leads to further opportunities in the minority communities. You know, the, the biggest issues with, with all the great things that you're trying to do and all of the reasons, all the good reasons why the government wants to help, um, it sometimes gets the government into hot water. Uh, you know, we, I'm sure you're aware that the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, uh, you know, was, was targeting really initially minority-owned businesses at first for the first three weeks or so um, of its funding. And, um, you know, it, it got sued, the SBA, um, in three different places, uh, saying that their distribution of the funds were discriminatory. And I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Not that you have to weigh in on whether it was or it wasn't discriminatory, but how do you get these funds out to minority business owners while still making sure that other business owners are getting their fair share? Well, I, I think the major problem with the Restaurant Revitalization Fund was that there was not enough money in it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Congress only appropriated about $28 billion, and the demand was three times that. Yeah. So there wasn't enough money into the program. They then set up a priority list, which I thought made sense because we know it's more difficult for minority small businesses, those in socially and economically deprived uh, the communities and uh, veteran women-owned small businesses to have a, a more difficult time uh, to get in line. We saw that with the original uh, Paycheck Protection Program. So I thought the priority made some sense. When the courts uh, found that that was, could not be carried forward, we were in a terrible position where some small businesses thought they were going to get the help and have not been able to get the help. Uh, so uh, the lesson learned here is we do have to make special efforts to make sure that the traditionally underserved community is not left behind, but we have to put adequate money in the program so that all eligible small businesses can participate. Uh, right now, I hope Congress will appropriate more money for the program and we can get back to uh, processing applications. Only, only one or two more questions left and I'll let you go and eat. 
Um, you know, when I look at your history, um, you know, you, you did mention before that your grandparents had a grocery store. I think your family came over there originally called Kardonsky, and then they changed their name to Carden. And uh, just as an aside, my my family was Markowitz when they came from Russia. And uh, my father said that we changed our name to Marks because the uh, Cossacks scared the wits out of us. So maybe <laughs> there's a similar story there. But um, you know, I'm curious, your, your family came over as immigrants and minorities in this country. And they prospered, uh, you know, and, and, and succeeded in business. And I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. What is, what is different about America today for the minority entrepreneur um, from the days when your grandparents or great-grandparents emigrated here? What do you think is different? Well, it's a great question, and you're right. The opportunities in America, it's what one of the reasons that brought my grandparents here to America. Also, of course, they were persecuted from where they came from, so they yeah. wanted a country where they could live in safety. Uh, but it gave them the opportunity, and with hard work and with figuring out a way to do things better, uh, they could really create a future for their children and grandchildren. So my grandfather... Uh, was a, a very uh, hard worker, and he found that there were a lot of gross, small grocery stores in communities when he came over here, but uh, there was no source for them to be able to get their products uh, other than trying to go through the, the big entities. Uh, and the big entities weren't, very, weren't really en interested in the small grocery stores. So he figured out a better way to do things. And he said, look, why don't we sell in bulk to the grocery stores? And it really started the independent uh, uh, grocery business in our community. Um, and it took off. And he was able to support all of his children going to college. And uh, uh, my father became an attorney and uh, was able to uh, prosper in this country. And was in my uh uh, my uh, mother uh, became a school teacher, and uh, so the rest is history. The grandsons now in the United States Senate. This yeah. is a great country. So the lessons learned today, I think these opportunities are still there. It's more challenging today, uh, certainly with the previous administration and its attack on uh, the uh, first-generation Americans, and sometimes even much more than first-generation Americans. Anyone who's who look different than what the president's definition of America was, it presents a challenge. Yeah. So I hope we now have the leadership in this country uh, that recognizes that immigrants make our nation stronger, diversity is our strength, and opportunity needs to be for all communities. You know, and, I, and I'm not expecting you to have any answers to this, but when I when I think of your grandparents and what they did, um, as well as you know, millions of others of immigrants that that managed to succeed in their lives. You know, they did it back in a day when there was no paycheck protection program. There was no small business administration or 7A or 504 loans. Do you know what I mean? And and now there is. And I just I, you know, the, the it's just the environment itself has changed. There are so many more resources out there for entrepreneurs. I mean, if your grandparents had those resources, who knows what we could have been talking to CEO Carden of a multinational <laughs> conglomerate. Um, so times have changed because of that. Senator Carter, go ahead. I'm sorry. No question. The circumstances today are a lot different than they were when my grandparents came to this country um, 120 years ago. So, yeah, things have changed and opportunities are now more complicated. So, uh, 
we uh, sometimes uh, wish we could go back to the how things used to be, but I must tell you, it's very exciting to see the opportunities that exist today. I agree, and that is well said. Before I let you go, I read somewhere that your you once said that your most influential book was the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. Is that is that serious? I don't remember saying that. I must be uh, honest with you. I enjoyed reading that book immensely, but I don't remember saying that. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I read generally fiction uh, because uh, I live the real life uh, here in Washington. So I, I enjoy uh, the uh, the Ludlum type books, uh, and, and that, but it's strictly for entertainment. Yes. Uh, when I have long trips or things like that, and I can do books on tape, I will read historical books about great figures. And probably my favorite was the Master of the Senate uh, that was written oh, about. The, yeah, that was probably one of my favorite books. And one of my favorites of all time. And in fact, I'm I'm in the middle of listening to a presentation he gave. This is ten years ago, um, where he's talking about that book. It's it's a wonderful book and one that deserves to be read more than once. So uh, as it, as a U.S. senator, I'm glad that you're reading that book. <laughs> I, I, I think it's must-reading for the, for a senator. I must tell you that. I would I would agree, Senator Cardin. Thank you very much for your time. I'll let you go. I know you have other things to do. We uh we very much appreciate it. Take care. My pleasure. Great talking to you. Have a great day. Thanks. Ben Cardin is a Democratic senator from the state of Maryland. He is also the chairman of the Senate Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship. Senator Cardin has been a U.S. senator since 2007. My name is G. Marks, and you have been listening to the Paychecks Business Series podcast. If you'd like more help, advice, or tips for running your business, please join us on paychecks.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Hope you enjoyed this conversation, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. This podcast is property of Paychecks Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.